Matthew chapter 6 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentile, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, this past week, I don't think I've ever heard the word pray or prayer more than I've heard this week. Um, it's just really incredible to see, you know, football players praying on the field, um, even had uh, ESPN host praying on the air. Um, yesterday before the Jaguars-Titans uh, game, we saw the players coming together and pray. It's just an incredible thing to see. And of course, praise the Lord that God answers prayer. And uh, DeMar Hamlin is doing a lot better and made uh, what I think is re remarkable, miraculous progress. Um, so praise the Lord for that. It's just been kind of cool to see how uh, there's been this interest in prayer this week. Um, and you, know, you think about prayer, and Americans are really a praying people. Um, it's just kind of interesting, and we're kind of an outlier when it comes to wealthy nations because we pray more than other wealthy nations. And uh, according to the, the most recent research I could find, um, they found that 79% of people say that they've prayed in the last three months, and about 55% of people say that they pray every day. Uh, Americans pray every day. So there's a lot of interest in prayer. Uh, Americans are a praying people. Um, but I think as Christians, I, I think we could all recognize and admit that prayer is often a struggle. It's often something that doesn't come easy. Um, the uh, the, the uh, famed scientist Albert Einstein was once asked by a student at uh, Princeton, what is there left in the world for original dissertation, dissertation research? Albert Einstein allegedly replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. We all pray. We are interested in prayer. But sometimes it comes as a struggle. Uh, the desert father, Abba Agathon, was once asked this by a disciple. He was asked, amongst all of our dis different activities, Father, which is the virtue that requires the greatest effort? He answered, forgive me, but I think there is no labor greater than praying to God. For every time a man wants to pray, his enemies, the demons, try to prevent him, for they know that nothing obstructs them so much as prayer to God. In everything else that a man undertakes, if he perseveres, he will attain rest. But in order to pray, a man must struggle to his last 
breath. Sometimes it's hard to pray, and I, I can attest to this both in my personal life and also in the life of the church. Anytime we try to do a prayer event, there's incredible opposition. Uh, I remember during COVID, we did this prayer service, and um, it was just me and uh, Phil and, and Patrick, and it was a really simple setup. We were just going to have like one microphone, one guitar, everything was set up. We, we got there really early, tested everything out, everything was working perfectly, and then like five minutes before, everything just went haywire. We started hearing all these weird sounds coming through the speakers, and like it, none of it made sense. And, you know, we got about five minutes in, and somehow it just kind of magically resolved itself. Still to this day, I have no idea what happened, why it, why it happened. But every time we have something related to prayer, it seems like there's opposition. It seems like it's a struggle, and I, I believe it's because the enemy doesn't want us to pray, doesn't want us to come before God. And sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we have difficulty because we don't know where to start with prayer. And Jesus gives us some really specific instructions in this passage. Uh, he gives us kind of a guide for prayer. And we, we could look at this passage and kind of look at kind of the components of prayer, like, you know, praise and thanksgiving and um, supplication or, or, you know, the different aspects of prayer. But I think we're not going to do that today. It's a kind of a different message for a different time. Because I think sometimes we, we kind of take the different aspects of prayer and we're almost like a baker who has a bunch of ingredients but they're not sure what they're baking. You know, and it's like we throw all these things together, but I think that Jesus tells us a lot about what prayer is. And so we're going to look today not at the specifics of, you know, the form of prayer, but some guidelines that Jesus gives us about what prayer is. And I think as we look at those guidelines and understand what prayer is, then I think the form is a lot easier. The form kind of falls into place if we understand what prayer is and understand what Jesus tells us about prayer. So Jesus tells us a number of things about prayer in this passage. I believe he tells us two things that prayer is not and, and four things that prayer is. Uh, the first thing he says is prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a performance. In the passage, Jesus said we shouldn't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. And he says, instead, we should go inside of our room, lock the door, and pray privately. In the ancient world, in, in the ancient Jewish homes, there was one room in the home that had a door and a lock, uh, generally at least, and that was the storeroom that was right in the middle of the house. So Jesus says, go into that storeroom, lock the door, spend time with God. And in saying that, he's saying that uh, at heart, what prayer is, it's a relationship between us and God. It's, it's, it's a divine human relationship. It's not primarily about a, a relationship between us and other people. Now, of course, I, I don't believe that Jesus is saying we shouldn't pray in public or we shouldn't pray together as the body of Christ. You know, there were prayers in the synagogues that were prayed all the time. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that. In fact, the, the, the Lord's Prayer is in the plural. It's our Father, not my Father. It's kind of a corporate prayer. So Jesus isn't saying don't pray together at all. He's saying when you pray, your motivation should not be what are other people thinking, but what is God thinking and working on our relationship with God. And, and of course, this can, can kind of take two forms. It can take the form of the Pharisees. Uh, who love to pray. They love the, the acclamation. They love to people to say, wow, what a spiritual person that is. Look at how great a prayer he prayed. And, and so they would love to pray on the street corners or pray in the synagogue. And, 
And again, it wasn't necessarily the fact that they were praying in the synagogue or the fact that they were praying on the street corner. It was their motivation. They're praying so that other people will look with favor upon them, so that other people would think, wow, what a spiritual person. So that's kind of the one way that we can kind of uh, have other people be the focus of prayer and, and, and make it about a performance. But there's another kind of subtle way that I think many of us struggle with, and I can certainly understand kind of the mindset behind this, but I think kind of a more subtle form of this is that we think to ourselves, I don't want to pray with someone else because I'm not good at praying. Or I don't want to pray with someone else because I'm not sure what they'll think about me if I don't have the right words to say. And really, I can... I can identify with that. I felt that myself even as a pastor. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're at, you know, big group of a lot of people and sometimes people are, look to, to me to pray, sometimes it can be intimidating. But really, it's between us and God. It's not about a performance. It's not about what we say. It, it's about our relationship with him. And so what we say, the words aren't as important as our heart. You know, you remember the prayer that was prayed in Luke chapter 18. Uh, the Pharisee came in and said, um, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a sinner. I'm not like this, this tax collector over here. He had all these words and all this pomp and circumstance. And yet the prayer that God accepted was the prayer of the tax collector. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple, easy prayer. It's not about a performance. It's about our relationship with God. So that's the first thing Jesus says. It's not about a performance. It's not about uh, what other people think. The second thing he tells us is it's not a negotiation. Jesus says that we shouldn't pray like the Gentiles who heap up a bunch of empty phrases, thinking that they'll be heard for their many words. So the Jewish Pharisees prayed so that other people would be impressed. The Gentiles, on the other hand, sometimes prayed so that God would be impressed with them. And so what they would do is they would have very specific, almost spell-like prayers, uh, like incantations, that they would have to say the exact right words uh, for the prayer to come, to come true in their minds. Or they might have to remind God, say, God, well, I did this for you, now you got to do this for me. Or you said this in the past, uh, and now you got to keep your promise. And it was all a negotiation, that if I say the right words, if I say a lot of words, then this God is going to be pleased and he's going to answer my requests. And, and kind of the fundamental mindset of, uh, behind that is, like, got to change God's mind. I got to persuade him to act on my behalf. Yet, the scriptures tell us it's not a negotiation. We come to a God who knows what we need and longs to answer our prayers. So the words aren't as important as we think that they are. He's looking for our hearts, not looking for a negotiation. And we come to him, and we come to him, sometimes we feel like God is reluctant and hesitant to answer. But he's, we come to him, and he's eager and willing to answer our requests. And so we come to him not to negotiate with him, but for a relationship with him. And that leads us to the thing that Jesus says, the first, the first thing that Jesus says prayer is about. Prayer is about a relationship. He says, our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. It's a declaration of the relationship. Not only is God the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, God is our Father. We have that relationship with him. You know, and sometimes we have this quandary of, so if God is sovereign, if God is omniscient, if he knows everything, 
and he knows what I need, then why do I have to pray to him? Why does he call me to pray to him? And sometimes I think the reason that we think that way is because we don't understand what prayer is. Prayer is not about informing God. Prayer is about being with God. It's not about informing him about what we need. It's about being with him. And, of course, we present requests to him, but that's not the fundamental thing. He knows what we need. And sometimes I think what we do is we, we treat our relationship with God as completely different than any other relationship. So my, I'm, I'm father to three-year-old Paul, who tried to run on the stage today. So Paul, you know, as his father, as Paul's father, I know what Paul needs. Of course, I'm so much older and have a lot more wisdom, a lot more experience than he does. So I know what he needs. I mean, I know that he needs a certain amount of food. I know he needs clothes. I know he needs warmth. I know the basics of what he needs. But how foolish would it be to say, well, Matthew knows what Paul needs, so Paul has no reason to talk to his dad. I mean, it's crazy to think about. It's, it's about a relationship. So I want to hear what Paul wants. I want to hear what is on Paul's heart. I want to know if he's hungry. Even though he starts to act crazy, and I really know in my heart he's hungry, I want him to tell me, Dad, I'm hungry. And sometimes there's things that he won't get unless he asks me. So say he's eating dinner, and you know it's after dinner, he doesn't ask for a snack. He might not get a snack. If he says, Dad, I'm hungry, he's going to get that snack. So there's some things that he might not get unless he asks. And, and in the same way, there's some, th- some things that he might not get unless he's persistent. So he loves toys, as kids do. And, you know, you go to the toy store and everything in there he wants. I want this. I want this. And, and what I've come to learn is there's a lot of things that he doesn't actually want. I mean, he likes the looks of them. He'd like to check them out. You know, but, you know, I remember I got this... Um, this big helicopter. It was on sale at Sam's Club. He's like, I really want this helicopter. So I get him this helicopter, and he comes home, and it's so exciting. And he played with it for like five minutes. Didn't really want it. Just liked the looks of it. Liked to check it out. There's other things, like he loves garbage trucks. And we went to this, uh, st- this toy store and several months ago, and we saw this really big garbage truck and this really big trailer that had like a cow in the back like a a horse trailer type thing. And he loved both of those things. And the reason that I knew that he loved them was he kept talking about them afterwards. You know, we didn't buy them. We went home. He's like, remember that truck? Maybe I'll get it for my birthday. And I had taken a picture of it because I knew he liked it. And, you know, he would want to see the picture on my phone. And, he, you know, he just kept bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up. And that's the reason he got it was because he was persistent in that prayer. Was it that I didn't want to? Bless him with that? Of course not. It was that I needed to know his heart. And of course, there are some, there's some things that, you know, you say no to. Maybe it's, you know, something that's not in his best interests. I mean, he asks for something that's going to hurt him. He's not going to get that. But it's about that relationship. And even though I know generally what he needs, I know generally what he likes, I could just pick out a toy for him. I want to hear his heart. I want to hear what he enjoys. I want to hear it from his own, in his own words. And sometimes, again, sometimes you have to say no, but
But it's not because I'm not willing. It's because it's for his own good. Charles Spurgeon once said this, God does not give up his prerogative as king when he tells us to pray and promises us to answer. He still holds everything in his own hands. You say to your child, my dear, I will give you anything that's for your good. He asks you to let him have his father's razors to play with. You know that very soon he'll be cutting himself, and you say, no, my child, that's preposterous. Or he asks you to let him have those sweets that are poisonous, and you say, no, my dear child, I have no doubt they taste sweet to your palate, but I think of the bitter medicines you would have to take afterwards and how much mischief they would do to you. No, I cannot let you have those. So it is with God, he says. He denies us many things we wish for because they are not good for us. But there's one thing that's certain. He does not withhold good from those who walk blamelessly. If it is really good for you, you shall have it, and God shall be glorified by it. I mean, we, we make prayer so complicated sometimes, but really it's about son or daughter talking to their father. Pouring out our hearts to him. It's about a relationship. And so that's what Jesus starts. He says, our Father who, who is in, in heaven. It's not about informing God. It's about being with God. The second thing he says prayer is, is prayer is about aligning our hearts to the things of God. Uh, the Barna Group did a survey a few years ago. Um, and the survey was among people who prayed at least occasionally. And they were looking at the content of people's prayers. What are the things that they pray for? And the top things that people pray for are as follows. Gratitude and thanksgiving, the needs of my family and community, personal guidance and crisis, my health and wellness, confession and forgiveness, things I suddenly feel compelled, urged to pray about, uh, safety in my daily tasks or travels. Now, these are all good things to pray for, all appropriate things to pray for, uh, things we should call out to God with all of our requests, whether they're big or small, but there's one thing that's missing here. And, and that's Jesus' prayer here, where he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And really, I think what Jesus is calling for here in prayer is that we would align our hearts with God's heart. So when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, what are we saying? Now, the, the ancient Jews believed that Jesus, the, the, the name of God was holy. Uh, they would often refer to it as the name rather than referring to it as the name Yahweh. And sometimes they wouldn't even write out the name Yahweh because it was so holy and so, so set apart. So when we think about this phrase, your, hallowed be your name, Jews would agree with that. It wasn't contested. God's name was holy. It, it, it's just an objective fact. But what is Jesus praying? What does he call us to pray for? He said, when we say, hallowed be your name, we're not saying, make your name holy. It's already holy. What we're saying is, I believe your name is holy. I want your name to be holy among my friends, among my relatives, among my people. And so we're aligning our hearts to God, saying, in the deepest core of who I am, I want your name to be holy. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's something that is happening. God's kingdom has broke into uh, the affairs of men. God's kingdom is being done. But again, it's not praying for an objective fact. It's saying, in essence, what we're saying is, God, I want your kingdom to come in my life, among my friends, among my relatives. 
It's not a prayer for an objective fact. It's a prayer as we align our hearts to God, say, I want your name to be holy. I want your will to be done. And so we're aligning our hearts with the, king, with the things of God. In essence, we're saying, I want your will to be done. So again, it's good to pray about anything and everything, but let's not forget to align our hearts to God, with God's heart, to pray for his name and his renown. In the book, The Higher Happiness, Ralph W. Sockman describes the true intention of prayer. He says, we use prayer as a boatman uses a boat hook to pull, pull the boat to the shore and not to try to pull the shore to the boat. It's not about changing God's heart. It's about changing our hearts. So that's the second thing Jesus says about prayer. It's about aligning our hearts to God. Third thing he says is prayer is about Dependence, and it's an expression of our dependence. He says that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, this word for daily bread is a, is a Greek word that doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, I don't think it actually appears in any other uh, Greek literature that we're aware of. So it's kind of a unique word, but most scholars uh, think that it means um, bread for the next day, for the coming day. Uh, so that there is, if you're in the morning and you're praying, give, us, give me this day, uh, my day for this uh, bread for this day, it's for that day. Or if it's at the end of the day, you're praying for the next day. And so, in essence, what he's saying is, give us this day our bread for the coming day. And when we think about that, and as Jesus' hearers and readers would have thought about this, uh, they probably would have thought about the Exodus and how when uh, Israel was in the wilderness, God provided manna, manna from heaven every single day. And remember back in the Old Testament where uh, some people would try to store that manna. And when it was stored, it would go bad. So they had to come out every single day except for the Sabbath, and they had to eat that bread. And every day they were dependent upon God. And we think about, you know, our daily bread or bread for the coming day, and that idea is kind of foreign to us. Uh, we live in a, in a country where there's a lot of food, a lot of abundance. We have canned food that can last for like 15 years. Uh, I got this bucket of like emergency food that's supposed to last for like 50 years or something crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about, and you know, think about back then, it wasn't like that. You know, there weren't preservatives in, in bread like there is today. You know, you'd have to eat it pretty quickly if it, or it was going to go bad. Um, and a hardship, a tragedy could really destroy your family. I mean, nowadays we, you know, we have food pantries and we have, you know, welfare and food stamps, all different, you know, kind of resources to help us if we get down on our luck. But back then, there weren't any of those things. And so if you got sick, if you got hurt on the job, whatever the case might be, it could spell disaster for your family. And so it was incredibly important that you had bread for each day, for, uh, that you had your daily bread. And really at the heart of what Jesus is saying is that we need to pray prayers of dependence. Give me the bread for the coming day. Give me what I need today. Give me what I need to get through this moment. And I think the, the, the issue is sometimes when we pray, we don't pray like that. Sometimes when we pray, we pray, God, give me what I need for the coming month. Give me what I need for the coming year. And we wouldn't put it like this, but I think really what we want sometimes is, God, give me enough so I don't have to keep asking. 
God, give me enough so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But God doesn't do that. At least he doesn't do that a, bunch, a lot of the time. He wants us to come to him each and every day to express our dependence upon him. Uh, there's a story I read about a, a man, a rich man who had a son who he promised an annual allowance to each year. And uh, each year, it was a specific day that he was going to give out that money. And each year he came, that, that son came and received the allowance on that day. That was the only time that he saw the son throughout the year. So he decided he was going to change it. He was going to give him the same amount, but he was going to give it to him a little bit each day. And then each day, the son came and visited him. And the father got a relationship with the son. And I think that's what God does with us sometimes. He wants us to trust him each and every day. He wants us to depend on him each and every day. So when we come to him, sometimes all he gives us is what we need for today. Tomorrow we'll have its own problems. He gives us what we need to get through today. And tomorrow, we come to him, he'll give us what we need to get through tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. He'll always be faithful to us. Jesus says a prayer is about dependence. And the final thing we see here is he shows us that a good prayer, a good prayer life is dependent upon right relationships. Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. I mean, it's, it's interesting that Jesus says this in the context of prayer. Uh, it seems almost out of place that he would talk about forgiveness in the context of prayer. It seems kind of foreign to the passage. Uh, but there's a number of other times in the scripture where we see that our relationships with other people can impact our prayer life. Uh, look at what it says in First uh, Peter chapter three, verse seven. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, Matthew five twenty three to twenty four, speaking of gifts, uh, says, "So if you if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother." And then come and offer your gift. We can't have a good prayer life if we're at enmity with the people around us. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to have peace either. It means that our hearts have to be right. I mean, we can't control what somebody else does. We can't control if there's a conflict, but we can control what's in our hearts. So imagine a situation where, uh, say I have a friend and friend comes over to my house for dinner. And so we're having dinner with me and my wife and this gentleman and, um, and my son. And in the course of time, it becomes evident that this person, my friend, doesn't like my wife and doesn't like my son. He's incredibly rude, says terrible things to them and about them. And we end that dinner on not the best of terms. Then imagine he calls me up the next day and says, hey, I was just wondering, let's, let's go hang out. Uh, let's go watch the football game. And I'm thinking to myself, so uh, I thought we didn't get along. And imagine that he would say, well, I don't like your wife, I don't like your son, but I'm fine with you, I love you. That's not going to fly. 
I mean, if you don't like my wife, you don't like my son, you don't treat them well, we're not going to be buddies. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I think the same thing is true with God. Sometimes we come to him and we're like, God, I love you so much. I, I, I am all in. I want to do what you want me to do. I don't really love that person over there. I don't love that person over there. God, I've done these things wrong. Could you please forgive me? But I'm not going to forgive that person that did this to me. I'm not going to forgive this person who did this to me. And I think sometimes God is like, so why are you coming to me? Because I love your neighbor. I want your neighbor to experience forgiveness. And so if you're coming to me with that kind of mindset where you're not showing forgiveness to your neighbor and you hate your neighbor, we're not going to be buddies. We're not going to get along because I love your neighbor. I want your neighbor to experience forgiveness. So one clue, maybe if we really struggle in our prayer life, one reason could be our relationships. If we're not right in our relationships, if we're holding on to unforgiveness, if we're at enmity, if we're showing disregard and hate towards our neighbor, we're not going to be close to God. It's just the reality of what it is. A good prayer life is dependent upon the right relationships. And so we need to ask ourselves, is there unforgiveness in our souls? Is there a relationship in which we need to make amends? There's a few things Jesus says about prayer in this passage, and I'm sure you could uh, come up with some more that Jesus says based upon his model prayer. It's really a deep and uh, has a lot of depth, even though it's short. But he shows us prayer is not a performance. It's not about the people around us. Prayer is not a negotiation. It's not about turning God's hand. His heart is eager and willing to hear from us. Prayer is about a relationship. It's our Father who art in heaven. Prayer is about aligning our hearts with God's heart. We pray, God, I want what you want. I want your name to be holy. I want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is an expression of dependence as we pray to him each day. God, give me what I need today. Tomorrow, I'll come back and I know you'll give me what, you need, what I need tomorrow. But today, give me my daily bread. And finally, a good prayer life is dependent upon right relationships. We need to be right with others if we're going to have a close relationship with God. June of 2013, there were a number of newscasts that ran the story about a young three-year-old boy. His name was Grayson Clamp. And he was doing something that he had never done before. He was born with a condition where he didn't have an auditory nerve going to his ears and wasn't able to hear. They tried unsuccessfully to implant uh, different uh, cochlear implants to try to get him to hear, to, to hear. And then they tried to do this experimental procedure where they were going to uh, connect an auditory nerve uh, directly into his brain. And it was successful he was able to hear. Millions of people around the world got to watch the moment when he heard for the first time, where he heard the voice of his father. And we have a video of that right here.
What an incredible sight to see the joy and wonder as he hears the voice of his father for the first time. We know in the scripture we see that God delights to hear from us. We should also delight to hear from him. We should have that same wonder, that same joy hearing his voice and hearing the words, Daddy loves you. Daddy cares for you. Daddy's always going to be there for you. He's going to give you your daily bread. He's going to forgive you your trespasses. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And so as we think about prayer, it's not primarily about informing God of what we need. He already knows that. And he likes to hear us say those things. But really what it's about, it's about being with him. Experiencing his, his presence. Experiencing his love. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we have a relationship with you through your Son. God, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you're not a God who's far off, but a God who's willing, eager to hear from us, eager to answer our prayers. We thank you, God, that you care for us. We thank you that you work all things together for our good and for your glory. Lord, we know that your name is holy. Lord, I pray that your name would be holy in my life, in our lives, that our church would be known as a church that gives you the glory and honor that you deserve. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in this place, in my life, in our lives as a church, as it is in heaven. Lord, in our relationships, in the way that we handle our time, our money, every choice that we make, Lord, help us to live in light of your kingdom and your glory. Lord, forgive us for failing you. Lord, forgive me for failing you. Lord, I know that I stand here as one who is unworthy to speak your word. But Lord, we thank you that you choose to use us anyways. Lord, forgive us for failing you. Forgive us for seeking other things other than your heart. For seeking to find satisfaction apart from you. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we live in a world that is uncertain. We don't know what the next day is going to hold. There's always going to be new temptations around each corner. But Lord, give us the strength to persevere. Help us to see you in your glory. Help us to be strengthened by your grace. Lord, help us to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to live our lives in the light of your love, in the light of your cross and resurrection. Help us to be transformed by your grace today. In Christ's name I pray.